You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. My name is Tim Moser, your host, coming at you from the Fargo Studios. Um... We have a great, great show. Again, in just a couple minutes, we'll be have Father James Gross on for Straight Talk. So get ready for that. The number again is 877-795-0122. Got about a minute and a half or two minutes until that time. Um, I, as you know, some of you know, I coached volleyball at Concordia for uh, over 26 years. So I've coached in volleyball for over 30 years. And I'm also teaching. I still teach Concordia. But I, I gave up the coaching a year ago, and now I go around and play music at all the, the retirement homes in the area. And, of course, this is the Christmas time, and so everyone wants Christmas music. Well, last night, I, w- I was at a place, and uh, there were families there and children there. And, you know, children and Christmas. I just want to talk about that for children, Advent, and Christmas. It is so amazing. My wife and I adopted a two-year-old boy, and just he loves music He's just so genuine, right? That, that, that's the way children are. Last night, I was asking for requests of, of what songs someone might want, and this four-year-old girl shouts out, number one, and number one was away in a manger. I said, oh, and I asked her her name. She told me her name, and I said, why do you want that one? Because I love Jesus. You know, this is a four-year-old. And I found out later it was a pastor's kid, so, you know, good thing she knew that. But the bottom line is, at such a young age, they can know, and they can really tell, about Jesus. And so we sang that song. And quite honestly, tears started coming to my eyes because I was not thinking just about her, but I was thinking about her son and the innocence of a child. And then we sang uh, Little Drummer Boy. He says, I am a poor boy too. The idea that all God wants is us. He wants our heart. He's given us everything. So I invite you to enter into this Advent season with open heart, bended knee, and bowed head to receive whatever God is wanting to give to you. We can learn a lot from a child. I know I am every day. My child and my wife teach me so much every day, and I'm very thankful for them. Ah, there it is. There's the sound. It's time for Straight Talk, everyone. That's right. We have Father James Gross, who is ready to take your calls, your comments, your questions on the Catholic faith. You can, faith, you can call us at 877-795-0122. That's 877-795-0122. Welcome, Father Gross. Coach, good morning. It's great to be with you. It is so good. I just heard you talk. That I, I miss seeing you in the flesh, though, but that's okay. You know, I, I, you're doing well, it sounds like. We're plugging along. It's uh, the busiest month of the year for many of us as mm-hmm. priests, and uh, uh, the Lord has blessed me with uh, good health and being able to keep up with everything and the schedule. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I first of all want to mention personally uh, to add my condolences to the people of the Diocese of Duluth for the uh, passing, sudden passing of their bishop, but uh, uh, Bishop Serba, but also to express congratulations to our brother 
brothers and sisters in the Diocese of Sioux Falls that uh, the Holy Father accepted the retirement of Bishop Swain and a priest of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis has been named as the new Bishop of Sioux Falls to be ordained in a few weeks. So congratulations to those folks in uh, eastern South Dakota. Yeah, absolutely. A, a young man, too. Yes, that's, that's wonderful. That's great. Well, thank you for that, Father. I appreciate that. Let our listeners know a little bit about where you are at and what parish you're serving and where you are, Father. Okay, I am the pastor, uh, gratefully, of a downtown parish in Grand Forks, St. Mary's, and I've been here since 2017. I uh, celebrated my 20th anniversary of ordination, uh, ordained in the class of 99 for the Diocese of Fargo, and uh, I'm a native of Napoleon, a town in south-central North Dakota, and so I just want to uh, give a special greeting to uh, family members and relatives and friends in my hometown there as well. I appreciate that. That's wonderful, Father. Well, uh, again, we want have our listeners call in at 877-795-0122. That's 877-795-0122. And we'll let you know when we get some of those uh, calls on the line, Father. But in the meantime, tell us what's on your mind. What, what would you want our listeners to hear this Advent season right now? One of the things I was thinking of is that, of course, we fight a battle against the time frame of the culture, which has been in Christmas mode since uh, November here, mm-hmm. and depending on uh, what particular benchmark you might use of retail and, and various other things like that. Um, and during the course of the season of Advent, I find that uh, the Liturgy of the Hours is very helpful with regard to Advent hymns and uh, the Advent hymns and the hymnal. It, it's more than just O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. As, as beautiful as that hymn is, um, you were talking about music and the music ministry that you uh, uh, provide to people in the Fargo-Moorhead area just a few minutes ago. And I was thinking about how at our um, weekday masses, I try to plan and incorporate uh, an, a season hymn, whether it be Advent or Christmas, as a concluding hymn. And it really helps me to dive into the the, the rich uh, theological themes of that Advent music. Um, Another important thing personally for me to do is to revisit uh, the opening parts of Handel's Messiah, um, because that focuses on the great prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the coming of Christ. And uh, my favorite part of Handel's Messiah, everybody talks about the Hallelujah Chorus, which is beautiful. But there is a chorus called And the Glory of the Lord, um, set to a, just a very elegant Viennese uh, waltz, you might say. And mm-hmm. it's from chapter 40 of Isaiah. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So it's always something that I try to do, make sure that I uh, give uh, that part of Handel's Messiah a listen as a way of taking on uh, the spirit of the season. I love that. We're talking with Father James Gross here. Obviously very knowledgeable and very articulate, so please give us your call at 877-795-0122. 877-795-0122. You know, you talk about Isaiah 40, Father, and I think that's wonderful. That, that's kind of the big turn, right? Comfort my people, right? You know, he's, Isaiah's been saying all these, these prophecies, all these things, right? And, okay, now give comfort to my people. And I just, I love going through that, right? And there's lots of songs mm-hmm. written, of course, uh, on Isaiah 40. You know, crying out from the wilderness, make straight. Every valley, right? That's that's one that, yes. that can do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just interested, Father. I, I, I know that you know this music. I, I always say about songs, about hymns, there's a sermon in every song, if, if we're willing to look at it. 
And um, I think that's so true. So many times we just we just sing a song, like I could say maybe just play it, but instead we want to make sure we pray it, right? Make sure that we really right. enter in to 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 what. To, to what what they're really asking us to do. Um, so in yeah. this in this month where you don't sleep at all, Father, this month this month of <laughs> yeah. December, you know, I, I I really appreciate the fact that you're trying to bring that mode of of um, of, of of listening of of learning to your uh, to, to your parishioners as well. It's very important yeah. to do. Well, thanks and. Um, I guess that brings up a larger point too when we look at uh, the use of music in the liturgy, mm-hmm. liturgy sometimes mm-hmm. it can devolve to a certain utilitarian experience mm-hmm. we need something to fill the silence for a few seconds or mm-hmm. to accompany the action that's happening but if people dive into uh, the, the text of the verses and as you have uh, alluded to really pray them in addition to just uh, you know utilizing uh, that particular hymn Right as a, as a side note, and I think you'd be very good at this too, Father. I'd, I had the opportunity, Father Jared Cadillac, whom you know. Right. Um, just this last week, he gave a, a wonderful presentation on Eucharistic hymns. He had me; I was there accompanying. He would, you know, talk about him. He did over half a dozen of them. Talk about them, and then we would sing it. And I got to tell you, that helped me. Even though I know the words, right, and all this kind of stuff, it really helped me enter into this in a whole new way. So praying those songs and those hymns are an amazing way to do it, aren't they? That is a great idea, by the way. I, I, I was just thinking that um, in terms of whether whatever you'd want to call it, an adult ed uh, mm-hmm. seminar or something like mm-hmm. that, I think I may have to shamelessly steal that and <laughs> speak to uh, one of our music ministers in order to uh, in order to do something like that. Yes, because you're you know, diving more deeply than you may otherwise have the opportunity to do. Absolutely. And, and full disclosure, I've been thinking about the same thing myself. You know, maybe I should offer that to, to Paris as well. So that's great. Well, Father, we have our first listener, not on the line, but they have a question for you. And of course, as you know, today we celebrate uh, the Feast of St. Lucy. Their question is this, what are some ways families can celebrate the Feast of St. Lucy? Do listener, do you have any ideas? And of course, maybe you want to explain a little bit about the Feast of St. Lucy and who she was and and everything, and then get to uh, how we can celebrate that. Yep, I'll give it just a quick uh, background. Uh, the Memorial of St. Lucy, which we celebrate today, December 13th, is of uh, a, a young woman in a class that we call the Virgin Martyrs from the earliest centuries of the church. She was a native of Sicily, and the story goes that she had been dedicated to consecrating her life to Christ from a young age, but her mother, Eutychia, um, desired for her to marry. And so they made a pilgrimage together to a place in Sicily where just a, a few decades before, St. Agatha had been martyred. And there, uh, Lucy's mother had a certain conversion experience and no longer stood in her way. And uh, when she uh, died a martyr's death, it was a, a witness of the that um, uh, confidence in the love of Christ and that willingness to give up everything, uh, which we can, you know, visit, we can revisit that in a moment. But with regard to St. Lucy, one of the interesting things that happened, I guess, sociologically within the church is that Scandinavian nations uh, came to take on a particular love for a devotion to St. Lucy. You think of the relatively few hours of daylight we have where we live, and it's even less, you know, in uh, the northern parts of uh, Sweden and Norway and Finland and such. And Mm -hmm. so, 
the name Lucy from the Latin lux, uh, meaning light, uh, shows, or at least it demonstrates, the shining forth of the light of Christ and faith in Christ in the midst of darkness. When I was in college seminary in Fargo, uh, we had a neat little tradition. We would not turn on the Christmas lights on trees until this day. And <sighs> whenever the Mass for the Memorial of St. Lucy was celebrated, prior to the beginning of that Mass, we would gather in the public areas around the seminary where Christmas trees were set up. We would do a blessing of the Christmas trees and the Christmas lights. We would then plug in the Christmas lights so that starting on that day and not beforehand, the Christmas lights on Christmas trees and other places were illuminated. So I don't know yeah, how um, you know widespread that is, but I, I, I always remember that in terms of something that was very edifying and, and educational. So, you know, there, there are various themes dealing with uh, light, you know, piercing through uh, the darkness of nature during the time of the winter solstice that uh, certainly have historically been appealing to many Christians throughout these centuries. Mm. I like that we're talking with Father James Gross here on Straight Talk about Feast of St. Lucy, meaning light, of course. And, and I love that, that tradition, that practice of not turning on the lights until the Feast of St. Lucy. I, I'm thinking, Father, and, and of course, listeners, if you have some ideas how we can celebrate this as well, one way I'm thinking maybe we can celebrate it for children, think how we just take light for granted, right? We just, you know, there's light, there's light, there's light. Maybe, for instance, around the Advent wreath, if we're, we're praying, you know, you, it can be dark, you know, then you light a candle, or, or just maybe some way, like you said, maybe having the Christmas tree unplugged and then plugging it in. Just some ways, some simple ways to show light and, and that can maybe bring, a, bring up the story of St. Lucy, possibly. Yeah, those are those are some wonderful ideas. And then just to think about the the overall story of uh, young women like St. Lucy, some of them perhaps being as young as the age of 12 and 13. Now, in that culture at that time, it was much more customary for uh, boys and girls to take on adult, you know, uh, responsibilities and relationships at that time. St. Ambrose has an interesting um, homily that has been put into the Office of Readings. I think it may be for the feast day of St. Agnes, but in any event, he talks about the the irony and the wonder of the celebration of the lives of virgin martyrs. He says that oftentimes girls of that age, you know, are driven to tears from just a, um, a cross look or a glance on the part of their parents, and that uh, if they uh, prick their finger with a needle, it, they weep as though for a serious wound. And yet here, these virgin martyrs show such um, determination, that spiritual strength and that metal. You know, he goes on to say that, you know, with their slim hands and wrists and ankles, that, uh, that the shackles and the restraints were basically falling off of them as they were being brought before the, the prefect and, and Roman authorities uh, being challenged to denounce uh, their faith in Christ and to practice uh, whether it be the, um, the the religion of the Roman Empire or to enter into marriage against their wishes, things like that. So I, I love to think of that that paradox when we look at the, the witness of the virgin martyrs in the early church. So true, you know, virgin and martyr, absolutely. And of course, going back to just Lucy herself, light, she, she, she was a light to others. You know, that the conversions, that, you know, her mother's conversion, right, leading her to St. Agatha's uh, tomb and, and to the light that she was to so many people, shed that light of Christ to everyone. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So again, listeners, this is Straight Talk with Father James Gross. We're almost half done already, Father. Isn't that crazy? So we've had one listener uh, <laughs> chime in. We'd love to talk to someone live on the phone. It's really not that hard. You can do it, and Father Gross will be 
very, very nice to you. So give us a call at 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. Again, we're celebrating the Feast of St. Lucy, talking with Father James Gross. You know, Father, staying on the this idea of martyrs, I guess, I read a, a, right. a CNA article that Pope, uh, Pope Francis, I think it's audience, Wednesday audience this week, says martyrdom is in the air of the life of a Christian, of a Christian community. There will always be martyrs among us. This is the sign that we are going on the way of Jesus. As Jesus said, there's going to be difficult times if you follow me. Maybe a little bit about, of course, martyrdom can be in installments as well, too, as we say, Father. It doesn't have to be this total giving of life, although some people do that. But really, all of us should enter into some type of martyrdom, right, every day, mm-hmm. meaning witness, of course, right, every day of our lives, shouldn't we? That meaning of the word martyr, as you alluded to here, Tim, uh, is literally witness, uh, a witness to Christ, which in any generation, in any circumstance, really stands out. Um, it is a radical renouncing of what everyone considers most valuable. Uh, that's one of the things that I think of. And we, I think, Catholics in every generation have to avoid the trap of speaking of martyrdom just as though it is a um, uh, an artifact from, from ancient history. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, there have been a lot of oppressive regimes that have been uh, directly uh, taking out aggression upon Catholics, whether we know their names or not, or could even find the countries where they live on a map, that uh, within the 20th century there was um, an, an awful uh, you know amount of, of those sorts of instances. And I think the, the martyrdom, uh, the end of martyrdom within the church confronts the world's hypocrisy because a lot of the leaders in the world want to, you know, put their best face forward, that they, you know, want to provide for freedom and and tolerance, but you find all sorts of hostility toward the message of Christ, whether it be in a subtle sense or something that is uh, more overt. Uh, No matter where we are, you know, we kind of expose the false dictatorship of our day, those who feel like they have to destroy um, what they themselves do not practice in order to obtain and to retain power. We speak up against that and we say, you know, that was not Jesus' way. And that uh, we are we are called to uh, be faithful to Christ uh, without compromise and to really uh, steal our nerve um, regardless of what, uh, you know, particularly we may be facing. So true. We're talking with Father James Gross here on Straight Talk. We're half down to 945 here. Give us a call at 877-795-0122. Father, maybe we can turn for, to, to the readings for today. I know you said you celebrated yeah. Mass. So I'm sure you read them. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I've got a few ideas, but let, let's start with your thoughts and see if the Spirit puts, uh, does something to me too. But go ahead and, right. and tell our listeners about the readings for today and, and what struck yeah. you. Well, one thing I want to just briefly mention is uh, the gospel. In these days of Advent, right before December 17th, uh, we get more messages dealing with John the Baptist Mm -hmm. and his witness and his role as a forerunner to the Messiah. Once we get to these final weekdays of Advent with the uh, accompanying O Antiphons, as they are called from December 17th on, these gospel readings take a turn to the infancy narratives, setting up the story. What happened with um, Zechariah and Elizabeth? 
what happened with Mary and Joseph, etc. But we're concentrating on John the Baptist, and uh, in sort of a whimsical exchange, Jesus tells the crowds, you know, I just, I just can't win here. Yeah, John the Baptist comes along, and he has a very strict regimen. He's ascetical. He's fasting all the time. People think he's possessed by a demon. Well, here I come along, and my father's will for me at this time in public ministry is not to take on that same, uh, that you know, not to take on those same uh, practices, but to uh, to eat and to drink. And people say, you know, look, he's a glutton and a drunkard. So it's it's as though Jesus is chuckling to himself and saying, you know, if the goal was to try to please everyone, I certainly would go crazy because <laughs> from one week or one month to the next, you'd just be running around trying to respond to what people are asking of you, you know, and he tells this little mini parable of children sitting in the marketplace saying, you know, we sang you a song, but you did not weep and, you know, that sort of thing, uh, rather than to try to respond to the whims, uh, you know, and the fickleness of the culture to root ourselves in the message of Christ in the gospel and let, you know, those dispersions that people may cast, you know, just fall where they may. So true. We're talking with Father James Gross here on um, Straight Talk. And please give us a call at 877-795-0122. So we'll put about the gospel, Father. What, what it makes me think of is the psalm, Psalm 1 for today, too. You know, not following the way of sinners or what people think, right? It's, yes. Uh, happy the person that walks in the way of the Lord, delights in the law of the Lord, meditates on it day and night. That is where our focus has to be, isn't it? Yes, indeed. That uh, first psalm talks about uh, entrusting ourselves to uh, following that path of discipleship and uh, recognizing that there are days when it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to feel as though the wind is behind you, you know, mm-hmm. like you're, you're, you're fighting the current, but uh, we're, we're never fighting it alone. Um, in, uh, I, I'm reminded of some of the topics with my RCIA uh, group that I've been working with as we talk about uh, baptism, that it's not just, you know, receiving my personal sanctifying grace, but it's incorporating me within, you know, the body of Christ and uh, forming bonds of unity with fellow brothers and sisters. And uh, so, you know, so similarly, what uh, the first psalm is speaking about there is not just uh, overcoming these uh, personal problems, but uniting ourselves with Christ and also uniting ourselves with one another. Uh, that, that's such a good point to remember. And, and I, I always try to stress this to my uh, my non-Catholic, maybe Protestant brothers and sisters, how, you know, they say it's just Jesus and me. It's, well, it, it needs to be Jesus and you, but it's also about relationship with the church, with everyone, you know? So that's, it, it, it's bigger, if I can put it this, it's bigger than just Jesus and you. That, 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 it has to be there, yes, but it's bigger than that. It's more than that. Yes, definitely. Wonderful. Well, Father, we have Becky from Sioux Falls on the line, and she has a question for you. Becky, go ahead with your question for Father Gross. Okay. I'm sorry. This has nothing to do with martyrs. But, That's okay. Um, my, I have a son who is um, disabled. He has cerebral palsy. Um, he is lucky to be... It's almost a miracle he's alive. He is unable to walk, unable to talk. He's cognitively with us. However, I find myself and my children pray for him all the time to be able to walk and talk. And I'm just, I feel like, sometimes I feel greedy because I want, it's not that, it's not, I know it's not my plan, but sometimes it's like, should I just be content with what I have or should I pray for more? And if so, who is a good saint to be my intercessor? Because a lot of times I use Mary as my intercessor. I just was curious, I guess. Okay. That's a lot. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I think 
certainly, you know, with, with the internet now, there's, I, I'll be honest, I'm just searching the internet here, patron saints of persons with disabilities. I'll let you talk in general terms there, Father, about, mm-hmm. you know, saints and intercessors, and, and maybe you know someone for, for disabilities. I, I'm going to see if yep. I can find a little more information here as you talk. The, the first name that came to my mind is a, a woman who was beatified, who lived in the Middle Ages, Blessed Margaret of Castello, uh, who was a third order member of the Dominicans. Um, her parents abandoned her in a local church due to her disability and the town's poor took her in and assumed care for her. She had uh, some serious physical deformities, passed away young at at the age of uh, 33, but uh, was uh, beatified in the early 1600s. And I remember reading a a thin biography of her life and the ways in which she was able to uh, offer her sufferings uh, very humbly but firmly uh, to Christ and how people who were able to see through the veneer of the first appearance were able to see her uh, dedication, her sweetness and holiness, and were uh, deeply touched by her life. But um, I want to also just mention uh, my appreciation, uh, Becky, to you as to, uh, as well as to so many others who uh, have uh, children with um, special needs, especially if they're, uh, you know, particularly uh, demanding. Uh, it is very edifying to see that and to walk with uh, parents on, in that journey as a way of witnessing to the fact that um, uh, the, the the gift of human life is not just something that can be equated in um, you know a, a practical or monetary way or things like that because of certain um, outward characteristics or, or accomplishments, but uh, that there's something much more fundamental uh, with with the gift of life and and how we care for uh, the the poor among us in various ways is uh, really a testament to how we understand uh, the gospel of Jesus. Thank you. Does that help some big? I, I want to echo what Father said. I mean, it, it, it's thank you for doing just loving and showing your witness every day of loving that child. And and the well, and I, I was just curious if you if it, if it is is it wrong to pray for more? To you know what I'm saying? I feel like I should be content. I'm lucky he's alive, but what you know what I, I don't know even how to say this. Is it wrong to pray for more? Is what I'm asking. Well, I think we could agree that we could pray like, as Jesus prayed in the garden, right? If it be your will, Lord, right? Have us, boy, be healed. However, your will, not mine, be done. I, I think I think if you come from that, you know, that, that vantage point, of course, God wants us to pray for big things, if it be his will. What, what, what would be your thoughts, Father? Yes, uh, definitely. Now, first of all, my apologies. I've been having a little bit of trouble uh, hearing uh, hearing Becky on the line, but um, having seen like a summary that we were given of some of the things that she was saying, uh, yes, to be able to um, uh, to be able to look at our situation not only in a self-centered th- uh, way of you know woe is me, but to uh, see that others are being asked to carry crosses and in other particular ways, and that we really uh, are joining together with that in a mystical way, recognizing that um, earthly suffering is not the greatest sin. And uh, one of the uh, fallacies in the world in which we live is that it treats uh, temporary earthly suffering as the greatest sin, something to be abolished at all costs. And uh, the, the, the teachings of Christ really help us to readjust our vision and to uh, say no to that lie. Wonderful. Okay. And Becky, I, I have a, a, a saint that, that I, I found here, a blessed, or saint now, An- Andre Bassett. He's actually B E S 
S E T T E. I've seen him as the patron of of uh, disabilities and that type of thing. He was orphaned at twelve and had some health problems himself. He was um, Pope Benedict. Uh, canonized him in 2010, so he's a very recent saint. So you might want to yeah. check that out and maybe uh, ask for so his intercession as well. you Andrew It's Aunt Andre, A-N-D-R-E, yeah. Yeah, he was a um, okay, uh, monk sorry, my from... Son uh, is Andrew, so it threw... Right, right. He, <laughs> he was off. a monk from uh, Montreal. <laughs> yes. And um, it's interesting, because of his uh, infirmities, uh, the religious order to which he belonged uh, was reluctant to take him in, mm-hmm. but his uh, pastor intervened and said, I am sending you a saint basically trying to, uh, 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 you know, to um, advocate for him. And uh, St. Andre Bissette had a great sense of humor. He was uh, assigned as a porter in this community. He said, they showed me the door, and for 40 years there I stayed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, good. And, okay. And, and that's a great testament to this, this, this simplicity, right? The simplicity of sainthood. And right. uh, yes. Okay. Does, does that thank help, Becky? Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, it does. Thank All right. You. Thank you, Becky. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Well, great. Well, we have just a couple minutes left. Maybe time for one more uh, email or phone call, possibly. Again, we're talking with Straight Talk here with Father James Gross at 877-795-0122. That's 877-795-0122. Father, n- no one uh, yet, I guess. So we have just a couple minutes left. What else is on right. your mind? What else would you like to share with our listeners? Well, one thing that uh, at least uh, we were talking about uh, from our uh, from Aaron, our production assistant, was to realize that before we know it, we're going to be in the calendar year of 2020, which is a, a pretty large political year with all sorts of different elections on the federal, state, and local level. And uh, when we think about our you know responsibility in entering into political life, uh, a couple of things that came to my mind as the time gets closer, when being able to meet these people in person on a local or state level, you know, to challenge candidates uh, politely but firmly. And the only way we can do that is if we have filled up our reservoir, you might say, by studying and learning about the church's social teaching, particularly uh, the um, the inability to compromise when it comes to the, uh, to the sanctity of human life. Another thing I was thinking of is that you know, the, the U.S. Constitution focuses on, especially with its amendments, the restricting of government rather than uh, you know, a, a positive statement, you might say, of rubber stamping and authorizing what the government can do to or for people. And I think that that's a very effective thing. A lot of uh, theologians in the United States have reflected on that and how that builds up religious liberty, how that contributes to the practice of our faith, and that you know we need to raise the bar of how we speak of religious liberty. It's not just what church you go to or what you do on Sunday mornings, but how you contribute your voice to the public square. Uh, Jason Atkins, our friend from the uh, Minnesota uh, Catholic uh, Conference, uh, speaks about that issue quite a bit in some of the interviews that I've been able to conduct with him. So I think those are all uh, important reminders for us going forward. So true, and, and as as you know, Father, a lot of people think, well, I'm going to leave that stuff to, you know, to the priest and, and, and this. And so, no, no, it's the laity. We are the ones who are charged to go into the public square and be active. Maybe just a comment on that, Father. Right, right. Uh, the Second Vatican Council speaks of that in numerous ways, how uh, the lay faithful are the yeast uh, that uh, leaven the dough. And uh, while it's important for us to uh, speak clearly and to give uh, uh, you know helpful and profound messages, where the rubber hits the road is the folks who are clocking in at their workplace, who are members of um, uh, organizing and labor 
reunions or, or whatever the case may be to uh, make sure that what they believe in, that what they're committed to is not just kept, you know, to one hour on Sunday morning or Saturday evening, but um, influences the whole of their lives. Right. And, and this doesn't have to be a, a big undertaking. As Pope Francis has said, in, in the grocery store, on the street, be a joyful witness, but be a voice for life and for joy and for truth. And that can be done in many ways, right in your home, right in your friends, right in your workplace. Yeah, it just, uh, I think, I keep thinking of the Holy Spirit's gift of fortitude. Mm-hmm. You know, how is he, you know, pushing me uh, beyond where I might go in order to make that happen? Mm, that That's so true. Well, Father... This has been a quick, quick 30 minutes. I'd like to thank you for being here on Street Talk and thank you for your witness as a person and as a priest. I, I really appreciate it and I know a lot of our listeners do as well. Thank you and uh, please continue to keep me and uh, all of our brothers in your prayers. All right, that's Father James Gross. Thank you so much. And that ends this session of Straight Talk. Thanks again so much, Father. My pleasure. All right. A big thanks to all of you who called in or wrote with your questions. Remember, This segment is on at 9.30 Central every Monday through Friday. Up next, what led Seth Shervheim to the seminary? Stay tuned to find out. And later in the show, we'll travel around our listening area on the 10-minute tour. This is Tim Mosier, your host, coming at you from Fargo. Stay tuned to Real Presence Live. (laughs) 